Wow, wasn't that great? Great worship too, wasn't it? Thank you guys. Wow, that was just wonderful. I am Michael Scott. Um, Names at the top of the screen there. I uh, have been blessed enough to teach the climb in first service. Uh, Pastor Chris is out. Um, Actually, all the pastors are out and all the staff is out. They're at a a vision conference looking forward to what uh, preparing studies and plans for sermons for the... uh, uh, the coming year. So they're out doing that. So he asked me to fill in as, uh, in the climb class that, uh, I teach. Um, we have been actually the Lord teaches it, but, um, we have been doing revelation for the last 37 weeks. So we've been into it. We've been really digging into it and going really slow. So what pastor Chris asked me to do was, uh, do all of revelation in one night, actually in two nights, he had me do, uh, um, Journey 180 on Sunday. So I did Journey 180 on Sunday and uh, we we got through part of it. We got through the first four into the fifth chapter a little bit. That's where we'll pick up, but I'll, I'll review real quick uh, where we left off before we try to get Revelation done in one week. Also, uh, one last announcement is that uh, next week is the last... Uh, Mind session for the season. I think it picks up again on July 22nd. So on July 22nd, they'll start back up again into uh, the next uh, uh, the next series. So I uh, well, I'm blessed to be here with you, and I hope you will all bear with me. Let's start off with a word of prayer, and we'll uh, break into Revelation. Uh, I might be going ca- kind of fast, so just go with me if if you will as we go through uh, chapter by chapter. And I'm going to try to get done as fast as I can, so that we have some time for questions at the end. And I understand pa- uh, Pastor Chris does that, and I think there may be a lot of questions on Revelation. I know it's one of the most uh, interesting books, at least, uh, and it is one of the only books, it is the only book that has a promised blessing. So let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I just uh, come before you and ask uh, your blessing and your um, your teaching. Let your Holy Spirit do the teaching today as, as we open up this book of Revelation. As this is a revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, we just ask that you just uh, fill us full of your word and truth. Once again, let your Um, Holy Spirit, do the teaching. Let it not be my words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we open up um, in in Revelation, we'll go to uh, the next slide. One of the things that I thought I'd put on on there is I most of the verses that I'll put up on the screen, and and I I know there's various versions in here, are uh, out of uh, New King James Version. That's what I tend to teach out of. Uh, One of the reasons I do is the strongest concordance uses the King James Version. It's a little easy to follow the Greek and the Hebrew. uh, um, So I use that. It's also more of a word-for-word type translation. Uh, Pastor Lynn uses a more thought-for-thought in church in the NIV there. If you have that, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Uh, The... uh, um, uh, living Bible sits over there in more of a paraphrased and it doesn't matter where you're at. I mean, the word of God is the word of God. So when you see it, it might be a little different. If you have something later and you go, wow, mine really said something different. Just, uh, feel free to ask the question at the end or afterwards I'll step down and, and we can talk about maybe what it said that was, that appeared to be different. And, and we can try to uh, reconcile that. Anyway, on the uh, next slide, there is that promise that I said, and it comes from the very first chapter of Revelation. It says in Revelation 1-3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written in it for the time is near. So there's a special blessing to all of us for just studying Revelation. I know some people like to uh, stay away from Revelation because it seems a little bit weird, but in it, now granted, it is the 66th book of the Bible, so it requires requires you to have some knowledge of the 65 books that came before it. But in those 65 books is how we determine and how we, um, how we interpret the scriptures using scripture to interpret scripture. That way, if I say it, if I pull it from thin air, you can not trust on it. Surely you cannot trust in it because it's not the word of God. But if I pull another scripture, then we, we have something to study together and we have something to look at and go further, uh, and to see whether or not those things are so. The next slide is um, also in chapter one. It, it, it sets up um, 
It sets up that this is the revelation, notice it's singular, of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, not revelations of Jesus Christ. There's one, one God, Jesus Christ. And um, it's, it's which God gave to show his servants. So God gave him, notice in, in the New King James or the King James, it's a capital him. That's God giving Jesus to show his servants, which is us. Kind of cool. And this is what John saw in his first, uh, in his vision as he was up um, um, well, taken up to, to heaven to see this. The things which must take place shortly. Shortly is, um, uh, is not shortly like it's going to happen any time. We've been waiting certainly 2,000 years since then to see some of these things happen. But shortly would be quickly. Once they start, there's a seven-year period. So if we go on uh, to the next uh, slide after that, uh, and then one more um, past this, there's an outline which is also in chapter one that helps us with with the definitions. Where are we? What are we talking about? When are we talking about these things? And it's given to him at the end, uh, given to John at the end of chapter one. And it says, write these things which you have seen. And his first vision or first thing that he saw was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is described in a certain way, and you can go back and look at that. And then the things which are, which are the next two chapters. The things that are, are chapters 2 and chapters 3, which are letters to the churches. They wrote letters to seven different churches, and in them you can find historically kind of a timeline of how the churches have progressed over time, or digress, depending on how you look at it. And it gives praises in it, and it gives concerns in it, and a couple churches he only gave concerns about them. And it gives uh, an exhortation, it also tells them uh, promises to the overcomer. We went over that on Sunday, uh, maybe a few people were here, but uh, nevertheless, that's, that's great to go back and look at. At the end of each letter to each church, there's a promise to an overcomer. That's for you. That's for you and I as we we study God's word and as we prevail over time, continuing to learn and learn and learn, hopefully more and more about about who he is. Um, The next uh, slide here is just a really quick outline. Uh, You can see on that outline that chapters two and three are talks about the church age. And then we jump into the the tribulation, chapters six through uh, 18, and then uh, the millennium is chapter 20, and chapter 21 and chapter uh, 22 are, is the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, um, let's skip through the next couple of slides, if you would. Go, take us all the way to slide number 18. Um, one of the slides, as you see them coming all the way through, um, is in... Um, Daniel chapter 9. One of the things I mentioned on Sunday was that who is the tribulation for? And Daniel chapter 9 gives a really unique um, prophecy. And the prophecy is so specific as to limit, as to name the number of days. 173,880 days we find from a decree that went forth by Artaxerxes to rebuild the wall in uh, around Jerusalem found in Nehemiah, that's our start date, to when the Messiah, the prince, would come and be cut off. At the end of that time, he would be cut off, and that would take us through um, uh, 69 weeks of years. What's a week of year? A week of year, a week in days is seven days. A week of weeks would be seven weeks. A week of years would be seven years. So there's 69 weeks of years, 69 times seven times all the ancient Jewish calendars. You 360 day years and we can go into it. It's actually, they were on a lunar cycle and so on and so forth. And, and it comes up to the day that Jesus came down on his triumphal entry. The day that he said, if he told those crying out Hosanna in the highest to be quiet, he said even the rocks would cry out. Why? Because that was his appointed day, written of by the prophet Daniel. So if those 69 weeks of years were written against Jerusalem, against Israel for their sins, for their not following God's word, for practicing worship to false idols and, and whatnot, then, then those last seven years are also for them. We fall in this amazing comma, if you will, in this, in this time period that is an age of the church. An age for those who accept Jesus Christ merely by believing in what he said, that he, he died and rose again, right? If we believe him with our heart, God says that we will be saved. So that is, um, 
That's kind of where we are. I believe the tribulation happens because you do not find the church mentioned from chapter 4 until chapter 22. No mention of the church. And yet the church is talked about all the time in the first couple chapters, as I had showed you. Seven letters to the seven churches, the church this, the church that, and so on. And then it's gone. And I believe that we are represented by the 24 elders, if you look through your Bible, in in the uh, book of Revelation. So... That leaves us at uh, where I left off on Sunday, which is this scroll. There is a seven-sealed scroll that is set out, uh, that is brought out. Jesus Christ, who right now we know sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits as an intercessor for us, the church, so that he can say, no, no, that's my child. That's my lamb. I've covered their sins. I died for them. I've shed my blood for them. And he sits as that intercessor for for all our sins, everything that we have ever done, everything that we might be doing now, and everything that we would ever do. And that's true for all of mankind. He died for our sins. So he is sitting there, and this scroll comes out. And John gets very uptight because, well, not uptight, he weeps. It says John weeps because no one is able to loose the scroll. And then it says... Um, Go to the next slide. Then it says this in chapter 5, verse 2, about the scroll. It says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, and like I said, I believe the elders of the church, and I think that's our job to know that Jesus is qualified. We do know that Jesus is qualified. We know that he covered our own sins, and, and that's, this is what the elder said. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Don't worry. This is it. This scroll, I believe, represents the title deed of the earth. The title deed of the earth, to take it back, that that Satan has been loosed, running to and fro about the earth, doing what kind of he wants, except for to you and I. Because we have a hedge of protection around us, certainly, because that's what God has promised us. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then we know that we have the Holy Spirit, and we are his, and his he protects. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not tempted, we are tempted. In, in many different ways. But nevertheless, so we have this fifth seal and we go to the next slide. The seals are listed in seven. It's, there's a uh, heptatic structure, which means seven of, of these judgments that will be coming on the earth during this tribulation period, this seven year period. The actual tribulation part of it is probably only the three and a half years the last three and a half years, because there's a lot of posturing, as we'll find out, uh, going on on the earth to set up this world uh, ruler that will that will rule over over the uh, uh, over the earth. Anyway, in the seventh uh, seals, on the seventh seal, it opens up seven trumpet judgments. And on the seventh trumpet, it opens up seven bowl judgments. So that's how that's set up. Also, in between the sixth and the seventh, both of the seals, of the trumpets, and of the bowls, there's a parenthesis or a pause. So we go into maybe a very short period uh, where it's just one chapter, like chapter seven. So chapter six gets us all the way through the six, and then chapter seven kind of gives us a pause in the action. So if you're reading Revelation, a lot of times you go, whoa, 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 when is this happening? Because you get stuck in these parentheses, like chapter 10 through 14. And you're like, well, hold it, this doesn't make sense. When does this happen? It's a pause in the action. It's, by the way, this is what's going on on the earth, or this is what's happening in heaven. By the way, this is, this is something I want to show you about maybe even the history of Israel and the future of Israel. So we find these, these spaces in, in between the sixth and the seventh of both, both the, like I said, the seals, the trumpet judgments and the bull judgments, which is, is, um, it, it helps, I think, to know that because when you hit it, you go, oh, okay, I know where we're at. We're not we're not moving forward on a timeline. We're pausing to take a look at some other things. So let's go um, ahead and look at them uh, quickly. Let's see. The first, the next slide, um, the Great Tribulation then, like I said, is chapter 6 through chapter um, 18. Next slide after that is four horsemen. The first four seals represent 
four horsemen. The first seal's open and we see this white horse coming. There are some Bible commentators that believe that this white horse is Jesus coming. Now, this white horse comes with a bow and no arrows. He comes with strength. And he enforces a treaty, a peace treaty, I believe, between Israel and, and, and those enemies that surround them. As we know right now, Israel is certainly a cup of trembling. And so it opens up the, the, this first seal. I don't think it is. I think it's a false Christ, if you will, that comes to do this. It is not Christ. We will see Christ on his white horse later on in Revelation chapter 19. But here we have this one who enforces with strength of an army, but without firing any arrows, if you will. So without firing anything, he comes in that strength and he enforces a peace treaty um, uh, with Israel during that time. Maybe peace uh, around the earth, but it's it's a false priest. It's not it's not real um, because the next horse that comes in we see is this fiery red horse, and it says that he has a great sword and that represents war. So now we have wars going on. You know there are some wars in the Bible that haven't happened yet, the best I can tell. Ezekiel chapter thirty eight. Psalm 83 is an interesting one. Took me quite a while to look at that. But the two purposes of those wars are different. The Psalm 83, the, the, the nations that are kind of an inner circle around Israel go out to drive them into the sea, to get rid of them, to, to annihilate them. The, the Ezekiel 38 war happens to gain booty, to gain, to gain, uh, um, treasure, if you will, to gain, gain, um, Anything like that. So it's a totally different purpose. So if you look at those two um, wars, those are still wars to come. They may be happening during this this early part of the tribulation, during this this false peace treaty and some, some wars happen and then maybe a continued of the peace. It could happen before the tribulation too. We don't know. It could happen as part of the battle of Armageddon, as kind of a precursor battle to Armageddon. There's various reasons to look at it. We don't have time to go through it today. But nevertheless, there is going to be war during that time. And that's the second seal that comes. The third seal comes and a black horse uh, comes. And, and he's holding a set of scales. And that scale represents famine. There will be famine in the land during, during that time. Following that is a pale horse. And it says it's with death and Hades as its riders. So now, because of the war and because of the famine, we find death. We find we find uh, not a good not a good good time for the people on earth during this. And we've just started uh, the tribulation. If we go on to the next one, you can see after that I have uh, uh, green. There is the pale horse. It's kind of an emerald green or dirty green. Um, anyway, then we have these martyrs crying out. This is the first time that we see these tribulation saints, those who have been martyred or beheaded for Christ, and they cry out from under the altar. They cry out from under the the altar to uh, asking for. For vengeance, they they say, "Lord, avenge our blood." One of the other reasons that I am a pre-tribulation and actually pre-seven years, so uh, rapture person, and we didn't get to talk about this today, but I did it on Sunday, um, is that these seven years, one, are meant for the Jews. It's the last seven years of that tribulation period for them. That's the time clock starts again on them and the, the time for the world and the world empires and the world rules. Uh, uh, rulers and so on and so forth. But the other one is, is what these tribulation saints are crying out is vengeance. Vengeance on my enemy, O Lord, for they have, they have killed us. How much longer before you, you do something about this atrocity? And we cry out, forgive them, Lord, for they do not know what they do. See, the church has a totally different message. The church has a message of love and forgiveness. Here, not to say that they don't have that message. They do. But when they're being directly persecuted and beheaded for, for, for their belief, they are crying out just like the Old Testament saints did. And I think we've fallen back into a different dispensation, a different period of time. So they cry out. That's the sixth one. And then the seventh one, this great earthquake happens. In the seventh seal, there's a, 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 a big earthquake and it says, that's where it says the sun will be darkened and the moon will turn to blood. It says the stars will fall down from, from the earth and the sky will recede up like a scroll. It says every mountain and island will be displaced by these tremendous upheavals. It is quite the earthquake, like nothing the earth has ever seen. And that's what happens there. And then we enter this pause. We enter this parentheses period where we're not following the timeline. And we get to see um, in this time, we get to see two different 
groups of believers. We see 144,000. Specifically, it tells us where the 144,000 come from. They come from the 12 tribes of Israel. 12,000 from each tribe. And it gives us the number of each and what tribes are there. And and there's one, actually two missing, depending on how you do the counting. Um, Don't have time to talk about it today. But nevertheless, there's 144,000. It says that they're young virgin men that are set aside with the mark, the Holy Spirit, you can count for sure, that they will be carried through the tribulation and their job will be to proclaim the word of God. That's our job now, right? But these 144,000 young Jewish men, I was asked uh, when we did our study, why do I think that they were only men and why were they virgins? And I believe it is because this time, as we continue to look at this tribulation that comes on the earth, is like no other. If you could imagine having a wife at home and children at home, you would be hard to be single-minded about the Lord's work when you're worried about your family at home, wouldn't it? And so I think that that's probably one of the reasons why he chooses these warriors, if you will. These are men ready to do battle, spiritual battle, physical battle for the Lord, telling the gospel, telling the truth, telling the good news to any who would listen. We also have this great multitude, uh, unable to be numbered uh, during that time. Um, and it says that they come out of the great tribulation. So it talks about this great multitude of other people, other believers who would maybe come to believe after the rapture, there'll be many, many changes. Hopefully you have some friends that maybe, well, hopefully you can get them to believe now, but if you can't get them to believe now, maybe during that time and they see you gone, caught up, harpazo from, from Thessalonians, and that's where we get the rapture from caught up to be with the Lord that during that time they would go, "Mm, let me go see. They told me about this and they would grab your Bibles and they would come to know the Lord. I believe there may be a very, very great revival after that moment. And yet the Antichrist will be beheading those who do believe uh, um, in Christ. So there will be many who martyr uh, or martyred who, who die because of their belief. And then we get to the seventh seal. When the seventh seal is open, there's silence in heaven. And it says for about a half hour, and I wonder how time works in heaven. I don't know because I know time is a created thing. As a matter of fact, it varies for us on earth depending on speed and some other variables. But nevertheless, I'm sure it seemed like forever. Silence in heaven. It's silence before the before the war. It's silence before the storm. It's, it's that quiet before the storm. And I'm sure it was probably somewhat of an eerie silence during that time as we got ready. There's a pause. Maybe it's a pause for those on earth to, to get a clue, to start to figure out what, what maybe I better stop, stop listening to, to what Satan is saying through his people, through a false church at that time, an apostate church and start listening to Something like what the 144,000 are saying. Nevertheless, after that, it says um, it is going to open up this seventh seal. So if we go to the next slide, the seventh seal opens up, like I said, the seven trumpet judgments. When they are open, we find this angel in heaven throwing, it says, throwing coals to the earth. Now, an altar of incense, incense would be carried in in the temple. And it says in Revelation that this incense that is seen earlier in Revelation represents the prayers of the saints. We also saw those beheaded for Christ underneath the altar that I just mentioned. And they were crying out. They were crying out, vengeance, O God, right? When are you going to, when is it going to be time that you take vengeance on us? I think this is the answer. I think now those, that incense, that, that burning coals was is now taken by the angels and thrown right back down on earth. So here we go. So this is what, what happens after that. The first angel sounds and a third of the earth, the trees, the grass are burned up by hail and fire mingled with blood. And the second angel sounds and something like a, 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 a great flaming mountain was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea, it says, became uh, like blood. And a third of the marine life and a third of the ships that were on the sea were destroyed. Then the third angel sounds and, and a, a, a falling star comes down. It's called wormwood. Wormwood means bitter. And it makes the waters bitter. So a third of the waters are affected, actually, it says, by this falling star or meteor called Wormwood that falls into the waters. And then the fourth angel sounds in a third of the sun and the moon and the stars um, are uh, 
uh, will be darkened. So now we have this dimming. We have this darkness. You know, talk about global warming or, or global cooling or whatever the latest trend is. It's not going to be held back by what God is going to do. You know, it's as if we have all this power to do this. We know what God's power is and it's far greater than anything that we could cause or do. I think this is going to be something else. Not to say that we couldn't cause something by uh, uh, nuclear uh, type type explosion or something. But nevertheless, then we have the uh, fifth angel sound and a star from heaven is thrown out, seen thrown out of the sky. Could be Satan at this point, could be just a, a one of Satan's angels or, or a demon is cast out of the sky. And it says that he's given a key to the bottomless pit. I believe he's probably Satan. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, we see Jesus having the key to the bottomless pit. And now he gives it to this this star, I believe it's Satan, being thrown out. And he has the key to the bottomless pit. And he goes down and he opens the bottomless pit and smoke comes up. And it says locusts come out. And it says that they sting. They're able to sting men with stings like scorpions. It says... Everyone who does not have the seal of God on them would be stung. So see, God is protecting his own during this time. He says this torment, it says, will last for five months. That's quite the thing. I mean, five months of this uh, of this pain. It says it'll be so bad that men want to die but won't be able to. And I wonder if this isn't a demon thing, these locusts. It's certainly possible that it is. And I'm reminded or, or hearken back to uh, um, something that happened with Jesus. When he went out and found this demon-possessed man, you might know the story, and his name, it says the demon that was in him was named was Legion, meaning that there were many. It said of this man that he would sit in the tombs and that he would cut himself with rocks, trying, cutting himself with rocks. Like trying to die but can't. It says in another place that a demon threw himself, this guy threw himself into the fire. It's almost like that. It's almost like Satan wanting to torture them bad enough but not letting them to die. A terrible, terrible situation you can imagine. And that's what it talks about. So it makes me wonder. It may not be. It may be locusts. It could be something else. Some kind of, uh, of demonic type thing. It could just be some kind of new animal that was saved for that day to sting these men. Certainly, we know as we look at the plagues during Moses' time, we find some very interesting things. We find some things that are are, um, are probably telling to this. If you look at those, those as well, at the same time you're looking at some of the plagues during the tribulation, I think that you will find some similarities. So this is going on, and uh, the sixth trumpet sounds, and four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, it says... I'm sorry, uh, four angels. They're bound with it. Um, and they could be demonic a- angels as well. They could be whatever. But either way, they could be the Lord's angels. But they're tearing off this specific task at this time. And it's causing the river Euphrates to dry up. And it says that, that a third of mankind will die in this because of this. And it says because 200 million riders on horses... Now, we find out later on in Revelation that kings from the east come in, and this could be talking a little bit about this, but this is only talking about a third. Later on, it's, it's much, much worse. So we're seeing this, this, um, this death and this destruction on the earth by thirds during this, and it kind of is a trumpet of thirds. All these different thirds are happening to the earth. And notice that they happen to the earth first. Before it started affecting man with the plagues and then the the men who couldn't die. All of these giving man an opportunity to repent. And they don't. So the Bible says that they don't. They don't repent. They go on doing the same things. Worshipping the same false gods and false idols. They continue to do that. So that's what happens during that time. Um, There are... Two-thirds of mankind are killed by the plagues that happen. Uh, I mean, two-thirds are not killed by the plagues. One-third is killed by the plagues. And it says specifically that they did not repent. It says of this. Murders, sorceries, which is the, the um, Greek word pharmakia. 
And it's where we get the word pharmacy from, which would be drug related. So it would be, it would be drugs. It would be from murders, drugs, sexual immorality, and it says in thefts. And they didn't repent from those. That, I think, will grow more and more rampant as we enter into the last days, as, as we certainly see during the tribulation period. Then we come up on this parentheses. We can see that there in, in the blue. And that is going to be chapters 10 through 14. Chapter 10 through 14 has this uh, parentheses. And, and it reveals that the mystery of God would be fulfilled during the seventh trumpet. And we know under the seventh trumpet are seven bulls of wrath. I believe those seven bulls come really fast. And we're going to get to those in a minute. But during this pause, he talks about these two witnesses. He says the two witnesses can do things like turn water to blood. He says that he, they can, um, that they, they can um, cause it to stop raining. It says that they can uh, cause plagues to go on the earth. I happen to fall in line with many commentators who believe that those two witnesses may be Moses and Elijah for various reasons. One is Jude talks about uh, that there was a battle for Moses' body between Michael and Satan. And the other is that we know that Elijah never died. So maybe he's coming back at this particular time. It says that for 1,260 days, which is half of the tribulation, I believe the last half of the tribulation, that they will prophesy. They, anybody that comes after them during that time, it says from their mouth, fire will come and it will devour them. So no one can even come against them. So they, the two witnesses, the 144,000 and however many others have accepted Christ are out there trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plus all the different things that have come onto the earth and men still is, uh, uh, mankind isn't still, uh, repenting. Anyway, those two witnesses, it doesn't matter whether they're Moses or Elijah or not. If they, they could be any two witnesses, whatever God has for us. I just happen to, to kind of fall on that because of the kind of things that they do. And you can go back to the Old Testament and see what kind of things the Lord had them do, like holding back the rain. After three and a half years, they are going to be killed. And they're going to lie in the streets for three and a half days. During that time, um, the earth is going to rejoice. The people are going to give presents to one another. It is going to be like Christmas or like, well, not like Christmas, but it'll be like a wedding or something like that. But after three and a half days, the Lord will revive them and raise them up. And you could imagine CNN having on the news, you know, showing this all the time. These two dead bodies finally, because they tormented us for three and a half years and really don't like those guys. So we're having a great party now, finally. It's funny, they're having a party even amongst all this torment and all this third of the earth being damaged and all that. But it's time to party for them and they share gifts. And I wonder if when they were raised to get raised back up and they see them rising and then they will ascend into heaven, it says, if they don't ask for their gifts back. I mean, you go to a wedding, right? And then they decide not to get married. Do you ask for your gifts back? I don't know. Anyway, so I just, I kind of wonder what, what's, what's happening during that time. But, um, um, then in, in chapter 12, we have this woman and a beast. And this is kind of a summary. What well, starts off definitely as a summary of Israel. And then it looks actually forward on Israel too. And so as it's looking at this, remember, we are not in a timeline at this time. We are, we are standing here in this parentheses. And the Lord's telling us about this pregnant woman and this dragon. And the dragon sees this pregnant woman. And as soon as this pregnant woman gives birth to a man child, the dragon comes in and tries to kill that man child. I believe that was, was uh, fulfilled in prophecy by um, Herod the Great. When he went out killing all those in the town that Jesus was born in that were two years old and under. All the males that he tried to kill during that time. But see, they were warned by an angel and they went to Egypt. So, so Jesus was safe during that time. And then it talks about uh, later on, war breaks out in heaven. And I think this is represented by about mid-tribulation. Michael, the archangel, is set out to and allowed by God now to defeat Satan and cast him and a third of the angels that follow him out of, out of heaven. He no longer has a place in heaven. Now he knows his time is short. And so he comes, he comes to earth knowing his, his, his time is short um, because it says specifically that there's no longer any place found for him and his angels anymore in heaven. 
No longer any place for them. So out they go. It's the time. He knows his time is short and he goes out after Israel. It says he goes out, out after Israel with, with a vengeance. He goes out to kill them. And the Lord takes them into the wilderness, calls them to go in the wilderness. You know, it's funny because Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, it says, head, head away. Don't go back to get your stuff. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, we can find it in Daniel chapter nine. Um, but is when the Antichrist goes into the Holy of Holies and declares himself to be God. He says, I am God. And we'll get to the, uh, a little bit more about what happens during that time. But I think that may be happening. That may be when the Antichrist is indwelled by, by Satan. And then he goes out after Israel. Well, those who are wise, who know their word, the word of God, they'll take off. And the Lord will protect them. It says that, that Satan will send a flood after them. I don't know what that flood looks like. I don't know if it's a flood of what, it, but it does say a flood. And it says the Lord will open up the earth. And swallow that flood. And when he sees that they're protected by God. And he will not be able to get to them. It says he turns around and he goes after anybody else. That would believe in Jesus. So anybody else is under attack by Satan. The Antichrist. The false prophet. We're going to find out more about them in just a minute. And that's where chapter 13 starts us out. That we have these two beasts in chapter 13. So if you're going through looking. We're up to chapter 13. And this is what happens. There's a first beast. The first beast has ten horns, it says, seven heads. And um, let's go to the next slide for a second. Um, this, I, I don't like the slide completely. Well, it'll give you some idea. But um, it, he has ten horns, seven heads, and it says it has ten crowns on his, hor- on his horns. The ten horns, I believe, are the same as the ten, ho- the ten toes from Daniel chapter 2 of, of a prophecy of all the world kingdoms over time. Those 10 kings, I believe, uh, well, they are. They're 10 kings or 10, 10 heads that will, that will form this last world uh, government. This last revived Roman Empire is, is, is what it kind of calls it. It says it will have seven heads. And it said that the seven heads specifically are seven mountains. Symbolizing perhaps governments. Some people think they're literally mountains. And so they try to put, place that in Rome. Except for there's more than, than seven hills really. And these are mountains. Uh, mountains are used as government uh, prophetically. And so I think that they're probably seven, seven governments or seven nations that are behind him. And then uh, uh, that they'll have ten crowns on its horns. And these crowns are diadems. They're ruling crowns. They're not gifted crowns. It's, it's called ruling crowns. And so they'll have those and they'll have the power um, to rule um, that is given to them by this dragon or, or Satan. <clears throat> and then they'll have blasphemous names, it says, on this, uh, on this beast, on his heads. This beast, I think, is both the, the king of the last days, which would be the Antichrist, and the kingdom, which would be the world kingdom. Whatever that, that looks like, what, what that is with the ten nations and the seven. So I think it's both a king and a kingdom, similar to what we would say about, about um, the World War II and, and, and Germany. We would, we would ascribe uh, Nazism to Hitler, right? We would say Hitler and the Nazis, and they were moving the same kind of thing. I think in these last days, we will, dis- we will uh, ascribe uh, the Antichrist with the world kingdom, the world-dominating kingdom that's going in and is being led by Satan. Then it talks about, next slide, um, it talks about in uh, 13.2, it talks about this beast and what he looks like. And it says, now the beast I saw was like a, uh, a leopard. It says his feet were like a feet of a bear and his mouth like a mouth of a, like a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne uh, and great authority. What I find interesting about this is that if you look at this, I have from Daniel chapter 2 this, this, um, this idol that was set up basically, but it was set up and it had specific meaning and in Daniel it tells you all about it. In Daniel chapter 7, he sees this world kingdoms, the, the list of world kingdoms in order over time as a winged lion then, and that le- represented Babylon and it's clearly stated. And then uh, uh, a bear... And then that represented Persia and then a leopard, which represented Greece. And then it talks about this terrible beast, which is Rome and uh, the Roman Empire. And ultimately it talks about this iron mixed with clay over here on the left. Um, or our, 
and uh, that it has 10 heads or 10 toes as you look at it. But as we look at this, and as John looks at this, I find it interesting that in Daniel, he's looking forward and he sees a lion, a bear, and a leopard. And in Revelation, he's looking backward and he sees this beast, this last world kingdom represented by all the world kingdoms, if you will, as a leopard, a bear, and a lion. One looking forward and one looking back through a timeline of history. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I find it, I find it kind of interesting here. All right, on the next slide, we have the second beast. And I thought the best way probably to look at the second beast is maybe to read about him. And it says, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Who do we know to be the lamb? Jesus Christ. He is a false Christ, if you will. And he speaks like the dragon, which is Satan. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven and on earth and in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs by which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. The first beast being the Antichrist, the second beast being this false prophet, prophet, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. It says of this image, it will force the nations to worship this, this image and the image will actually be even allowed to speak. See, there will be false wonders and false miracles, miracles, things that would fool the the Lord says, if possible, even the elect. But we know that that's not. If you believe, you believe in God's Holy Spirit, I believe guides you. But nevertheless, this is this is the situation that we have here with the second beast. And and the second beast is doing these things in the sight of the first beast by the power of of Satan. So that's what it talks about in in that chapter. Um, it also ends with the number 666, which you've probably, even if you were with a friend who didn't know the Bible or anything, if you told them 666, they would know, oh, yeah, that's, that's associated with the Antichrist. I mean, that's something everybody seems to know. And that comes at the end, and it says, uh, if you're wise enough, you might be able to figure out who he is by the number of his name. We won't have time to figure out who he is tonight, but nevertheless, um, it, it's there. And everybody will have to take this mark. And it says they have to take the mark on their forehead or on... On their arm. It's funny, or not funny, it's interesting because this Antichrist will die from a mortal wound to the head and be supposedly raised up. I don't know if Satan has the power to raise those from the dead. He may be granted it during this time, but um, but either way, it may be, it may be, look like he's dead. And then, and then either way, the world will believe that he was raised kind of like Jesus was raised. See the falseness that he's trying to copy he is the antichrist. He's the counterfeit Christ. He is trying to copy. Satan is trying to copy what God has done. So of that, I wouldn't be surprised if this antichrist has some scarring going on and people who, if he's the star, I mean, he would be the star of the show. He's doing these great signs in heaven. People may want to be scarred even in their marking, perhaps. I don't know. Similar to this Antichrist because they, they, because he's the star. He's the Michael Jordan. He's the whatever star, the best player on the team. Well, he's the best player on earth. And so, so that's what they're thinking. And they're thinking, oh yeah, I want to be like him. I want to be like Mike, right? You know, so I want to be like the Antichrist. That's, that's cool. I have a mark just like he has a mark. So it may even be that because the word for it is engraved. The word for that mark, the mark that you have to take to buy and sell, and it talks about that. See, only those who take that mark are able to buy and sell during that time. Only those can find food easily. But it's a trap because with that, I believe, is worshiping, bowing down and worshiping the beast bowing down and worshiping Satan during that time. So if they bow down and worship Satan during that time and take the beast, it is not someplace you want to be. A matter of fact, there's some specific warnings uh, against that coming up. A matter of fact, here's one of them. We find in in chapter 14, the very next chapter, we find angels flying in, in heaven. And those angels are flying out in heaven and they, they come with this warning. And this is the warning from Revelation 14, 9 and 10. It says this. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, 
It says, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the, of the wrath of God, which is pull, poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. That is a terrible thing. I mean, that's a warning. The angel is crying this out to mankind. So we have angels, we have the two witnesses, we have 144,000 all doing the job that the church is doing today. Another reason I believe the church is in heaven during this time. Nevertheless, so this is going on and people still don't repent. They still don't recognize God. They blaspheme God is what it says that they do. So it becomes harvest time in chapter uh, 15. Let's go to, um, um, we'll skip the, the, well, let's go ahead and read this real quick. Revelation 13, 15. Do you have that up there? Next slide. There we go. It says that he was granted power to give breath to the image and the beast. And that's what I said. And the image of the beast should both speak and cause many as would worship, uh, not worship the image to be killed. So if you aren't worshiping that, doesn't that remind you of a time of Daniel? I mean, it really does, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and that whole story too. Anyway, and it says, and he causes both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive the mark on the right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark and the name of the beast and the number of his name. And here is wisdom. This is what I told you about. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number of his man, 666. Okay, next slide. We get into the bold judgments coming up here. And the first, um, we, we, we see with this, we have these bulls of wrath now about ready to come down. And the bulls of wrath, uh, the first one comes down and it foul and loathsome sores fall, uh, break out on all those who worship the beast in his image. So all those who thought this is my way to take care of, you know, God help those who have small kids during that time, because I mean, the, the temptation you would think would be greater to get them food, to go ahead and take the mark of the beast, to, but no, 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 don't do it. This is what's happening to them. So now the last of the judgments, I believe these bowls of wrath come down quickly, which I have to do to finish in time. And, uh, the, um, so the first bowl comes down and, uh, then the, and, and that's going to have these, these sores on everybody who has the mark of the beast, who's worshiping that. And then it, the next one comes down and, and the seas turn to blood. It says that of a dead man it turns to. And then the third bull comes and all the fresh water becomes blood. Remember we were in thirds before. I don't know if you can see the bottom, but now we're full force. Once again, God is affecting the earth. This is now God doing it for sure. He is full on doing this. Wouldn't you get a clue by now and say, okay, God, I'm a sinner. Right? I mean, you would think you would, but they don't. They don't. And then the, the fourth bowl causes the sun to scorch men with fire. So now you're blistering with, with the scorched sun. And then the fifth order, uh, angel pours out his plague and darkness comes over all the kingdom of the Antichrist. And then the sixth bowl comes out and uh, is poured out and the water of the river Euphrates is dried up so that the kings of the east can move towards Israel. See, we're moving. We're coming up on the last one. This is a time when I don't believe there isn't real peace at all during this time. These kings of the east, probably the 200,000 that were mentioned before, are are coming through, uh, um, perhaps from China, but nevertheless, coming on in to this place called Megiddo, Armageddon. So here they come, marching on, on in to battle, probably the beast for world domination. And what happens next is, is something, but before we get there, um, um, Armageddon comes from the, the he, uh, Hebrew word, but it's uh, Megiddo. And the valley of Megiddo is where this last battle is supposed to be. And if you ever get a chance to go to Israel and you go up on Mount Carmel where um, Ezekiel takes on all the, um, I'm sorry, Elisha, where Elisha takes on all the prophets of Baal, of Baal, B-A-A-L, and takes them all on and, and they start cutting themselves and stuff to try to get fire to burn their altar. And then he pours all this water over his, over his altar and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the altar and the rocks and the water and everything. And then he has them all killed. That hill looks down on one side over this valley of Megiddo. 
You know what's on the other side? Nazareth. I find that very interesting that Jesus grew up looking at a place where the last battle would take place. We're getting there. So the last bowl is poured out finally. The seventh bowl is poured out and there's great thunderings and lightnings and this great earthquake. Every island um, and, and the mountains will, di- will, will just flatten. It's something. It says 100 pound hailstones will come upon the earth and men will blaspheme God rather than repent. Then we go into this, this, this uh, um, talk about this apostate church in, in chapter 17. The apostate church is this church that, that is a false church. It kind of puts all the world religions under one. And what it does is it promotes the Antichrist. And it promotes the Antichrist all the way up until this one day when the Antichrist says, don't need you anymore. I don't need you anymore. And uh, he, he takes out the church. Shortly after that, Babylon, which is probably the center city, I think it probably is literally Babylon, but it doesn't have to be. Nevertheless, it's the city in which all world power, where the the headquarters of the Antichrist is at, it will be destroyed by God. That's in the next chapter, in chapter 18. And then we hear something remarkable. We hear, hallelujah. We hear it four times. Hallelujah. In the first six verses. Hallelujah, which you've probably heard before, is not mentioned in the Bible or in the New Testament until chapter 19 of Revelation. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. It comes from the Hebrew word, word, hallelujah, and it means praise the Lord. So finally, there's a reason to praise. Finally, the answer to all of this and the sin and the sinful place that we, we are in is, is we, we've come up to that. And the hallelujahs come out four times and the beast and the false prophet are captured by the Lord. The Lord comes, come, comes down. Let's go to the next slide. And here he comes. King of kings and Lord of lords as he's coming down. And then we enter in and he comes down and he takes the beast and the false prophet and he takes them and he throws them into the lake of fire. He takes the Antichrist and he locks them up for a thousand years. That thousand years means millennium. It's the millennial period in which the Lord himself will reign on earth. It says he'll raise David back up to reign on earth for that thousand years. It says during that time he will reign with his saints. It says you and I will be kings and priests and, and rule and reign with him. Satan is released at the end of the thousand years. We find this in chapter 20 of Revelation. And he gathers everybody he can to, that, that will listen to him for one last fight against God. It won't be much of a fight. And then he gets thrown. Satan now gets thrown into this lake of fire. Then there is a great white throne of judgment. Not the judgment that we do. We do a Bema seat judgment, which is a reward judgment. This is a judgment in which all the books are open and the book of the Lamb's book of life. You and I are written in there because we believe in Jesus Christ. Everybody else must stand on their own merit. And their own merit won't be good enough if it doesn't, if they're not in the Lamb's book of life. Because then later it says, everyone, it says, death and Hades are cast in the lake of fire with anyone not written in the Lamb's book of life. This is called the second death. For we die to self when we accept Jesus Christ and we live for him. They who haven't made that choice will die the second death. They will die in their bodies and they will die again and be cast in the lake of fire. It's a horrible thing. It would make you think that you would want to perk your ears up and listen. The next slide. This is, um, this is what happens. Uh, we don't have time to read it, but in chapter 19, it is wonderful. I think when heaven's open and we see Jesus coming on a white horse. I mean, it is truly that hallelujah moment. I mean, it really is. And we don't have time. So let's go on to the next slide. Um, during that thousand years real quick, uh, actually all the, all the tribes of Israel are broken down into specific places. And from the, uh, the little pink and purple box there where it says holy portion, that's where, uh, the Lord will rule and reign from. He will actually rule and reign from that place in Jerusalem. And then the Levites are given their, their portion there. And actually the sons of, of Zadok are the only ones who will actually work inside the temple during that time. Anyway, if we go on to the next slide, we have a new heaven and a new earth. Really interesting place, really quick, we'll, and, and we'll be able to close. We have the um, uh, a total absence of, of sin. 
during that time, we have this new Jerusalem. And I, I like the way this picture is because it shows this light, whoops, excuse me, above the earth. And in the light above the earth, I think the new Jerusalem comes down. What it says is that it's transparent in its colors. And it talks about the many colors. And I think the Lord dwells in it. The Lord, God and Christ together, whom we can't look upon with our current bodies, but in our glorified bodies, we will. And the, the brightness of him will shine through the city, literally through reflecting through the city because all the streets of gold, which are transparent, everything actually street singular of gold uh, are transparent. And it talks about these many colors. I think it's like a prism. I think it's going to be really, really cool. It doesn't say that it comes all the way down to earth. It may. I think it sits above. And I think we will be there and be able to travel. It talks about travel going back uh, and forth through there. Um, uh, it's going to be, there's no longer any sea, which is interesting. Not, not water. There is water, but there's no longer in, in, any sea. Finally, the last slide, we find in it a tree of life. And it, it says about the tree of life, it says that it, it kind of goes on both sides of the banks and it, it produces 12 fruits um, that, that, and it says it produces uh, leaves for the healing of the nations. It's kind of interesting. Like I said, I'm running out of time, but um, it, it's, it's a really wild place. I mean, it's really cool. It's probably beyond our imagination. I think when Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven, it says he talks about this and says, and says that the things that he saw were unspeakable. And I think that a lot of it will be unspeakable. I don't think we can fully get grasp or understand that kind of vision and that this kind of place, but it will be remarkable. And it was prepared for you. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you unto myself. He's going to come and take us rapture. He's going to catch us up so that we miss all this tribulation. The most important part of revelation for us is really chapters two and three. It's the letters to the churches. It's the, the listen up. This is, this is important. This is for you. This is for you while you're on earth, while we're living now. How should you behave? How should you act? If all of this is coming, you know, how then should we live? The, the next slide, just the last couple of verses. There's more verses than this. The, the last chapter six, or chapter, um, 22 verses 6 through 21 has closing warnings. It has uh, comforts in vocations and benedictions. But I thought we'd just read this one. And it says, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And that's what that is. The first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do my commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. You know, we've gone full circle. The tree of life was in the garden at the beginning. Man lost his access to the tree of life when he listened to Satan and ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. He decided to get his wisdom another way. He listened to what Satan said instead of what God said. And it caused a fall in being cast out of the garden of Eden. It is wonderful that we will have full circle and gain access to that as purposed for our lives. God has purpose for all our lives, and I think it's, it's wonderful. We have a few minutes, and I will stay after, too, if, if anybody has any questions. Are there any questions? I think we have some mics maybe available, too. Anybody have it? Yeah, there's one right here in the center. Hi, I have a question about um, in the time of uh, Satan... As he's going wild here, and he's going to be cast into hell, and then he'll be freed again. Yes. Why does why are humans cast into hell forever, but yet he keeps getting more and more chances? What's up with that? Yeah, isn't that interesting? He's not yeah. cast into hell. It says he's locked up. So we don't know where he's locked up during that thousand years. He is currently has full access to heaven. I know a lot of people will think that uh, think that maybe he's uh, already cast out of heaven. He's not. We can look at, at places like Job and find him standing before the Lord, right? And, and he even asks him, where have you been? He says, Satan says, well, I've been walking to and fro about the earth. This time is certainly a time of testing. The time of tribulation will be some great testing during that time. When he's locked up for a thousand years, mankind still has a sinful nature. But he won't have the tempter. That great tempter will be locked up. At the end of that time, he gets one last chance being released. He's not put in hell, remember, at this time. He's locked up to test man. See, they've been without that. You and I have it, right? We have, we have Satan to tempt us. 
what's funny is during that millennial reign, you would think everybody would be doing whatever Jesus says, right? They don't. And it specifically says they don't in the Bible. It says that, that he has to punish them, those who don't come and worship with him, the Feast of Tabernacles specifically. If they do not come to the Feast of Tabernacles, the Tabernacles to dwell, to live with God, to share with God, and to remember what I've saved them out of. For the Jews, originally it was the wilderness, and certainly for the world, it will be out of that tribulation period. Because it says, if Jesus didn't come back when he came back at that time, it says they would have totally announced annihilated one another. So they're responsible for a thousand years every year to come for the Feast of Tabernacles. He says there will be those nations that don't come. And when they don't come, he says, I will cause it not to rain on them. That means there's rebellion going on, living underneath the all-powerful King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Unbelievable, but there is. So you can imagine some of those who would choose to say, nah, I'm not going to go do what God says. I'm not going to do what mom says either, right? You know, we just had Mother's Day. So, you know, we get that from our kids. We still have to deal with that. And some of them are not going to do that. And so guess what? Satan comes out to see if they'll follow him or follow God. Make a choice. We make a choice today, right? They'll have to make a choice then. Did that, did that answer your question? Okay, great. Anybody else? Maybe, maybe not. Oh, one more maybe. Oh, here we go. Here comes a mic. Could you explain what the third heaven is? Yeah, really interesting thing. Because we hear the third heaven and then we've probably heard things. Well, shoot, we had a TV show, the seventh heaven or something like that, didn't we? Um, but nevertheless, the, uh, there's really three heavens as Paul was describing it. And Paul was saying this. He says, he talks in third person about it. He says, he says, I know a man, whether in the body or out, I'm not sure, but he was caught up into the third heaven. He was talking about himself. The first heaven would be that, our atmosphere, where the birds fly, and the second heaven would be outer space. It would be where the stars dwell, and the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all that. Then the third heaven would be truly heaven, what we would call heaven. So that would be heaven where 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 God is created, where Jesus is going to create to to prepare a place for us. So does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what that is. Anybody else? Oh, right there. Um, you said that it said there will be no more seas. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It it doesn't say that there's no more water. It says there's no more sea. The sea currently occupies about three quarters of the earth's surface, especially if you count, you know, uh, how much surface going down and back up and all that. So about three quarters of the earth is currently covered by sea. I don't know what that new earth is going to look like. I don't know if it's the same diameter as our current earth. I don't know any of those things other than that it occupies a lot. All of that will be inhabitable. So it will be a much, even in its current size, it will be a much greater place than, than what we have today. So it's kind of interesting, but there is, there is water and there's, there's living water, both spiritually and, and physically running actually from the temple under the tree of life or through the tree of life, the tree of life, which, which will come on both sides, um, which will offer the 12 fruits. It's, it's also kind of a neat thing. I like the fact that we're eating in heaven because I like food. So I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. I wonder what it tastes like, you know? Anybody else? Oh. Sorry, I've got another one. Um, when will you be able to cover the mark of the beast? You said you can't cover it at this time, but maybe another time? Oh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, we could talk about the mark of the beast real quick. Uh, the mark of the beast is, is, is interesting because it says it's his number of his name is what, what they'll be. Um, the mark of the beast could be like we all have seen now in technology that you could put a microchip under and you can, you know, you can track somebody, you can, you could probably put all your banking on there and, and get that done. So that's could be, but I don't think it's merely that because it talks about the worship being required of the, of the antichrist and this false idol that they, they put up. It is more than just taking a mark. No, six, well, six, six, six is the number of his name says, he who has wisdom, you, it's there for you to figure out. I do not personally believe that we can figure it out in our day. Because it says in Thessalonians that he cannot be revealed. The Antichrist cannot be revealed. The son of perdition is what it calls him there. Cannot be revealed until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. 
Now, we have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a promise. We are the bride of Christ. And he's given that as a guarantee. As he is gone, it says, to his father's house to prepare a place for us, he is going to come. The bridegroom is going to come to take his bride. And, 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 and we will meet him in the air, it says. So, so that Holy Spirit has to be removed in that state before the Antichrist can even be revealed. So I think it's kind of worthless for us to try to figure it out. But I think men and women during that time may be able to come up with exactly what that means. Because there's, in the Hebrew and the Greek, there is a, a, a number associated with every letter. So you can come up, so, so perhaps his name will add up to that, or they've come up with all different, different ways to do that. All right, I guess we're coming up out of time. Is that right, Mike? Okay. All right, we'll pray. I'm going to stay up here, um, uh, up front. If anybody else has any other questions, if you just didn't want to, feel free to do that. Why don't we close with a word of prayer? Dear God, we just uh, thank you for how amazing and merciful you are. We know that through this, though we went over it quickly, there is time in between each event. Just like there are times in between each of the events in our lives as, as we go under what it would be considered a minor tribulation compared to this great tribulation. Lord, help it cause us to pause. Help us, it causes us this, this tribulation that, that awaits the world to not want any, not even our worst enemy to have to go through that. And let it give us boldness that we might be able to speak to others that may, they might come to know you. Lord, for all of us, Lord, I just, I just pray that, that you continue to help us grow in your word, that you just open your scripture and reveal yourself to us more and more. As we open this, it's a revelation. It's an unveiling of who you are, Jesus Christ. And so help us to learn more about you. And we certainly pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming and putting up with me. Pastor Chris will be back next week. Yeah, thank you.